Hi everyone, it's Joakim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this episode, I'm talking with the co-founders of Trailblazer Games, Alex Arias and Andreas Riesberry. Trailblazer Games is a new Web3 games company founded in 2021. And recently they announced a seed round of $8.2 million raised from investors like Makers Fund and Play Ventures. In this discussion, we talk about the founders' background, how they both worked at King and brought learnings to their own startup, and what kind of games the founders are now building with the new blockchain technologies. The dilemma at the heart of mobile gaming. Monetizing your great work while keeping gamers engaged and not distracted by intrusive ads. Well, our partners on this podcast have a very clever solution. Audiomob delivers in-game audio ads so that game developers can monetize their players without interrupting gameplay. Audio ads are better at retaining happy gamers than video ads and can actually work alongside video ads too. This is all the while having much higher CPMs than banner ads, up to 600% higher. AudioMob's Unity plugin is simple to set up. It can take just minutes, allowing complete privacy control, and you can even reward players for extra gratification. Simple, clever, and rewarding. Go to audiomob.com for details and to speak to the team. All right, we're recording. Hi, Andras. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joachim. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Joachim. Nice to be here. Sure, sure thing. Great to talk to you guys. How's Sweden today? Well, southern part of Sweden is uh, a little bit uh, cloudy over here. I don't know. How is it going over there for you, Andreas? Well, Stockholm is actually pretty nice. Started out a bit cloudy, but now it's it's getting better. So spring spring is coming. Just so, just so you know, Joachim, I'm in the um, very much in the outer part of of of, of Malmo, so in the southern part of of Sweden, and in a little town just in front of a, of a lake. So it's all very peaceful and lots of nature over here. Yeah, I I'd like like that kind of thing. I'm in the suburbs of Helsinki. It's a sunny day here as well. Hopefully going to the cabin this weekend, so should be relaxing there. Hey guys, let's get going here. Can you first off tell me your origin stories and how you made your way into gaming and eventually to found Trailblazer Games? First of all, I'm I'm originally from from Chile, so that's that's the accent you hear. I grew up there, went to university there, and eventually started a company for downloading games and ringtones. You know, at the time. We were distributing a, a Shakira album, better than a Nokia phone. And then that venture, that software that, that I built was uh, acquired by Digital Chocolate, which is a Finnish company you may be familiar with. Well, it was actually by then acquired by an American <clears throat> capital company. And uh, I moved to Helsinki, lived there for a couple of years and seeing all the transition from feature games to mobile and, and social games. Live in Barcelona for a couple of years. That was also really wonderful and an amazing city, make really good friends. And lots of my good friends on the industry were actually made, you know, already during those years. We were trying to figure out this change of paradigm in that time of downloadable games to more games as a service and free-to-play uh, social games and, and so on. Then I moved to San Francisco. I joined EA. I was running the data and analytics platform globally from a product perspective, trying to create a, a single view of the player to personalize the experience until I started to create my, my own company with raised venture capital, close to $10 million, a company called Omniata, which was used primarily by gaming companies. EA was one of our customers, but but also at some point there was Supercell, Spotify, King, and a, a number of high-profile studios, Rovio and others. And nonstop games. I think that that was probably the beginning when we connected with, with Andreas. He was already on, on his uh, game startup and was, they were using our product at the time. So eventually we sold that company to King. 
So moved from San Francisco to Stockholm. My wife is Swedish. I met her in San Francisco. So I eventually said, hey, so the companies that were moving to Sweden was, she was like, let's do it. So it was quite, quite an amazing, you know, journey, all, all, all of this. And, and then in Stockholm, we met with Andreas. He'll tell you more on how he landed there as well through an acquisition and being part of King. So we started developing this really, you know, deep friendship and, and, and vision of the gaming industry that we've been having continuous discussions about. Then I, I joined Xbox to run growth for an acquisition of a platform called PlayFab. And eventually we decided to take some time off being back in Sweden. And at that time, the market had matured quite a bit on the DeFi space, which we've been paying you know, attention. It's been very interesting to see all the philosophical concepts around that and really the huge change that we've seen in the market. And then we connected with with, with Hendrik Suronen from Play Ventures and start devising, you know, ideas on creating something really, uh, how this transition of gaming was actually happening. Perhaps the opportunity we've been waiting for for 10 years in terms of how big this transition was. And at that point, I started to think of who would be the best people that I could bring on board to to make this happen and immediately thought of Andreas. We talked about it, I ideated and, and also brought in Tran, who is our CTO, with whom I work with at, at Playfish and EA in the past. He's also an entrepreneur, super passionate, super capable, and, and he's been also creating amazing technology himself. So he has the experience of building, you know, uh, the technology for franchises like SimCity, but also with, with deep blockchain knowledge. So suddenly we have a fantastic team to to get started with a you know big idea of leading the transition of gaming to Web three, and that's from from my side how how we landed into uh, Trailblazer Games. We'll be happy to tell you a little bit more about it later. But we'd love to hear from maybe Andreas. What, what's your take on uh, how was this journey? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, I think as you as you heard, our our stories are crisscrossing and overlapping here here and there anyway. So, but background wise, I'm I'm Finnish, but but I'm Swedish speaking, so I don't have a typical Finnish accent, but rather sound Swedish when I speak, I guess. And yeah, background-wise, I grew up on, a, on an island outside of Finland. Uh, as a proper RP, uh, role-playing, kind of tabletop role-playing and, and fantasy geek. Luckily, I was good at sports also, so I, so I didn't get get too much shit for it. But And basically, I, I got into into actually making games when when Nonstop Games was founded. I knew knew a couple of the founders from from university, being one of them being Henrik Soronen. So, as you know, from Play Ventures also, and whom... Alex mentioned already. So Nonstop was founded by him and Juha Panan and a couple of others. And uh, really, ever ever since I just dove into it, I've been been hooked and realized this is this is the thing for me. Um, on the journey there, the probably key points are touching upon what on Alex's story also is. We actually was working with uh, when uh, with Omniata integrating Alex's system into into our games at Nonstop already and then then we were acquired by King I think that was that was back in 2014 so we were part of that acquisition in Nonstop and and we were set up in Singapore by then so we were kind of the so one of the Southeast Asian studios at King at that point. We in what was it 2016? Yeah, that's when when Activision acquired King. Also at that point, we started looking into actually getting uh, moving moving to Stockholm. And as part of that that acquisition, the, the Asia strategy changed uh, quite significantly. So 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 we we shut down the studio in Singapore. And at that point, actually, I took took uh, part part of my team uh, and actually moved to Stockholm. Working at we we continued at King and then really arriving in Stockholm, working with new games a little bit more, but but pretty pretty quickly also moving over to the Candy Crush fran- franchise, where I was partially working as product lead on uh, on Candy Crush the original and then also as head of product for Candy Crush Soda. So in in our our, our line of business, really, this I've been at King for, I was a King for what is it, like seven seven odd years, I think, uh, which is very long in in this uh, this business. And if you include the Trailblazer, the the, the nonstop nonstop part of that journey. Like it's over 10, 10 years in, in kind of the same same setting in many ways, even though we relocated and everything, which was uh, was a nice change of pace. But when when we started talking with Alex about the opportunities in this space and what Web3 really means and how we can apply blockchain technology to, to gaming to make it better, simply simply put. And also with Henrik Soderman from Play Ventures then, I had this 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 drive and this feeling that I, I really want to get back to get get back to startups to be honest. I was very happy at King. It's a very good place to place to work. But I had this this drive that 
I really need to do this and now is probably the right time. Funny anecdote is, um, is my wife, she's, uh, she's uh, managing director for, uh, for an educational company here in Sweden who they're working with, with the digital, digital transformation are really at the forefront. So, so she, she kind of gets, gets where, where the future is and where we're headed, but she's, she is pretty, pretty risk averse individual. And when I told her about this venture, this idea, this possibility, she was kind of really, you really want to quit your job? Do you want to go back to startups? And I told her about the idea, the, the potential, and also who's involved with, with Alex and, and Henrik. And yeah, even though she's very risk averse, she kind of took a deep breath. I thought a little bit about it and kind of just said that, yeah, yeah, you, you need to do this now. You, you really need to do this. So she, she saw it in my eyes. I really need to go, go back to, to uh, being part of founding our own company and, and yeah, going back to this startup. That's awesome. That's kind of validation that it needs to happen. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. <laughs> hey, guys, since you both worked at King, can you tell me some lessons learned from working at a company like King and Lessons that you're thinking about even today and you're thinking about when you're when you're building Trailblazer now, how to apply those lessons. Yeah, absolutely. I think it actually goes goes back to to our both our origin stories in many ways. So at least for me, it's very much about scaling and growth and how individuals, teams and companies, organizations are changing with the success, especially, I think. So as a startup, it's not always about success. It's it's about doing doing the job and and doing over and over again and finding the right solutions and, and kind of that type of hard work. Whereas we've also seen, I think, both me and Alex from from different perspectives, which is I think is very valuable. The the perspective of scaling and growth, whether you talk about organizational size or size of business or just different business models and and the idea of being being a VC funded uh, VC funded startup or uh, an IPO'd going through an IPO or an IPO company being bought up by another listed company, right? So, so for me, it's actually that. And part of that journey, I think that there's an inspiring part and also kind of a learning part in, in many ways where I think it's about the, the people and the colleagues around, like working together in this growth. And especially also looking back, the inspiring part, I think, is, is working, for example, alongside King's founders, just seeing, and also, for example, working in Candy, looking at people who were the 10th or 11th or 12th person working on that type of game that is now 300 people and a multi-billion dollar business. It's pretty incredible to, to look back, back at that and see different ways of doing things. Great learnings in there. So, so yeah, I think mostly what, what I take with me really is, is that. In- yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I agree. I think that it, it was, it is a contrast. What we take, we're taking with us is, is the journey and, and the transition, the contrast between a startup that is 20-something people big to this really large organization, but not just the organization, it's just the business, the scale, something we honestly have just never seen before and being part of it at, at, at that level. The integration of an acquired startup is a challenge too because you come with you know, your, your culture, your, your nimble, you just want to get things done. And in this case, there's this big idea of what is the goal with, with the acquisition. And, and then you need to bring together with you hundreds of other people's and minds and hearts towards buying into that vision. And that needs to be done together. So it's, it's not something that one can, it's not that one comes with the answer, say, this is how you, you, you do it. You know, there's really amazing, capable people that's been, you know, working on solving, you know, the hard problems of data pipelines and, and using this information for improving the player experience, which was what our acquisition was about. So how to unify all those teams and make them work together towards a, a big vision. I think that was an amazing part of, of the journey. And, and the way we, we found our, our way to do that was to agree on that big vision uh, for the future, not to focus on the current products that existed today. There were multiple teams really passionate about what has been built. But eventually we managed to create this unified platform vision that allow us to all kind of focus on creating something new together, design and bring the best of, of the teams. And I think that then seeing the impact of, of that at scale, it's been one of the most rewarding experiences. I remember I, I heard this from, from Thomas, also one of the co-founders of, of King, when it, it is a big 
ship and maybe startups are like these these small boats that have you know full flexibility to go anywhere but when you manage to get all the resources aligned towards you know that same goal the impact can be can be much bigger and 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 we saw it i mean there's there's a reason why there's around 100 you know data scientists at king because they work embedded within those games and they have kept them growing and growing and growing over years we will call you know candy to be basically the federer that it's like when is it going to retire it's just never retires it keeps winning grand slams year after year and there's teams essentially at, at scale that are capable of doing that data being a huge part of it i'm really passionate about that how data can help you know games to grow so to see that in action at king was again one of the most rewarding experiences and and just a reminder of what scale can do when you have hundreds of people working together aligned towards a big goal you can achieve you know amazing things then I wanted to talk to you about fundraising. So you did a funding round recently. Can you explain to the audience what are the differences between an equity round and the possibilities of fundraising as a company in the Web3 space? For us, that's been a journey as well. I mean, our experience has been in fundraising for you know traditional equity startups. So let's call Web2 gaming, if you will, or, or platforms or systems. And then you have, you know, your pitch, your five years uh, plan and what are you going to use the capital for and so on. And then you end up realizing, wait, there's this thing called the DAO and then there's going to be a token. And and how is that connected with the company legally? And also how is that if our income is going to come in these other tokens, how is that supposed to be connected with the cap table of the equity entity that that we have uh, raised. I think that the standards, there's no standard because this is so new, but as you see more and more examples of fundraising and and you start getting, seeing a pattern on on how that works. And essentially you're you're granting your equity investors rights for the tokens that you're going to issue later to, with certain conditions. But then the, the whole idea is that you're creating the, this new entity, which is much broader than um, the traditional equity company. In, in fact, that is the big goal, the big idea. What, what we're trying to build is that new entity because that incorporates the players and partners in ways that you just couldn't and just don't do traditionally with a web two company. So at least we're now getting a, a better idea on how that works. We have a clear path on how to integrate the equity company with future IDO? Yeah, I think like one clarifying question is like, since you've done an equity fundraising event recently, why did you feel that you still wanted to do an equity round before going into the to the token side of the, the industry? It came as an opportunity to be, to be perfectly honest. I think that there was great momentum, great support from funds, equity funds on supporting us. And I thought it made, you know, a lot of sense, the terms and the ability to continue to, you know, execute aggressively on our roadmap by securing that fund that which is, you know, went ahead and that decreases the, the, the pressure on the IDO, which has risk, more risk in terms of the, this fluctuations on valuation than we're in, in different stage of market. I think that we were really uh, lucky to get amazing investors interested on us very early. And then we, we thought they were the best partners we could really possibly think of. And yeah. especially they have experience on Web3. So then we could work with them on a smooth transition to Web3. So I think that we also brought with ourselves a partner that can help us in this journey. Yeah, it's very, very important because like maybe in 10 years when everybody already knows how these things work, we, we don't need equity anymore. It could be. But who knows? Now we're in 2022 when it's still like, what is a DAO, for instance? Right. Yeah. 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 Actually, I, I'd like to, to emphasize on that, really. I, I don't think, even though there's, there's more unknowns than ever before, probably things are moving faster than ever before in this space. And even like even even earlier when we had other types of challenges having the right partners is so important. You should never think that you can deal with everything alone. I think it's a just increases the risk. So having the right partners is so important. So I think that's a big part of it also. Yep, definitely. 
going into the to the game side of Web3, would be really interesting to hear how you've developed your conviction towards Web3 over the last years or months. I, I, I'm talking in months myself, but like, <laughs> it'd be great to hear, hear your side of this. So true. Yeah, I, I'll start perhaps with more, more, more a high level what would really motivated us. We thought, well, we start seeing how Web3 games are designed and the kind of philosophy behind, we realize that this is the paradigm shift that we've been really waiting for for 10 years. This is as big, if not bigger than the transition to, to free-to-play. What for us was fundamental was the change in the business model that is not anymore an, an extractive economy. It's not about targeting and finding the players that can spend more money in the game and give them reasons you know, to do so, but rather to create a, a community and transform the players into partners. And we are essentially at the same level working together towards a successful project. And, and the DAO essentially is, it is this entity and there is this board that essentially control us all. So it is the right partnership between the developers, the investors and the players. And we're all striving for making this project successful, which makes it more creative, more meaningful, more fun, and the possibilities are just unlimited. It's like creating a new a new country and you are enabling players to be entrepreneurs and to get rewarded and, and to grow assets and to progress in the game in ways that Web2 has never supported, you know, at, at this level. That That's from, from my side, but Andreas really can tell you more on, on that. On the product side specifically, I think uh, for me it's actually the conviction. This is, it's on a very personal level. Actually, it's I always come back to this is just one. There's so many many benefits. Like uh, Alex mentioned, many of them. Like it's switching the perspectives quite a lot. I initially I saw it as kind of just flipping the pyramid, really, and how we how we actually look at the whole business and our players and users in relation to developers. Right. Also, we have the platforms types of questions in there, like which then relates to to reach and how you get word out and how you spread the word, how you create advocates and actually like an engaged community. And Web3 is so much about the community. And a small anecdote on this is that, that again, it might be it might be looking back, you know, hindsight is 2020. So, so you might uh, fit solutions where, which is actually only coincidence. But, but to me, this is a very dear, dear to my heart, an important point. Like it's about a year ago when I was, was still a king and, and uh, heading product for Candy Crush Soda, we were in one of those types of workshops, which which happen regularly, where 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 we try to figure out the social aspects of casual games and and how how can we get back to virality and how can we crack that? How wh- what can we do? What mechanics can we use? What are we missing something? These types of conversations that happens regularly, and for the last ten, honestly, like for the last ten years, not much has happened. Like it's since. Candy Crush exploded using leveraging Facebook. Not much has happened in that space, right? And I just had this feeling in that specific meeting. I remember it very well. This feeling, and I said it out loud also, that like, and we were obviously being king. We were comparing to the biggest competitors out there. I don't think I need to name them, but like I said out loud that, loud that I think like the answer, the answer is out there. Like this is, it's gone so long since something has happened in that space, that part of of uh, game development or or the business as a whole if you will some within like soon someone will crack this i've got this extreme sense of urgency you know how we, how we can get sometimes and someone will crack this and the one who cracks that really will win everything here but of course we didn't we didn't solve it in that that meeting as you seldom do <laughs> that, that epiphany didn't come but i well i left with this sense of urgency that. The answer is out there. Someone will soon figure this out, and it will be very soon. And if if it, if it, if it isn't isn't us, then then we're screwed. In worst case, and then just like yeah, few months after that, we started talking with Alex and going through these things and and like looking at the whole business from this new perspective that is Web three. And it just dawned on me that that this is it. Like really, this this is how you solve for that. It's actually flipping the incentives so that everyone are aligned. And we, by default, in building our community in an open and transparent way that we're going about it, we build those advocates and we spread the word actively because everyone's incentives are aligned in this in this way. We're sitting around the same table, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sorry, long, long anecdote, but but it's it's yeah. very, very important to me. Like this, that that's kind of one of the key aspects that I I found so obvious in hindsight. Yeah, that's those are really interesting. 
aspects. I think the thing that I'm thinking so much about with Web3 gaming becoming viable and like very much a big player in the industry is because there is such a critical mass now appearing in people who hold cryptocurrencies and who understand like the mindset of having value in in crypto assets and i think if that wouldn't exist like we would still be thinking like like you know symbian <laughs> like back in the nokia days like trying mm-hmm. to make something like work on hey mobile gaming is the future and then you're looking at the symbian like OS, it's hard to say, but then you have an iPhone, you have critical mass. So I think it's kind of that place where we were in 2011 with going to mobile really like, you know, big time. Then talking about actually the games that you're making, because you have, you have an extensive background in making games. Can you talk more about the specific games you're going to be making? So yeah, it's pretty long story. Where if we go really back to the beginning, it's when, when, when we started talking with, uh, with Alex about opportunities and, and what, what works, what doesn't work, and, and what learnings can we, especially what learnings can we bring also from our backgrounds, and what are we passionate about also is really important, I think. As I mentioned my, in my or, origin story, <laughs> I, I like that you call them that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a fantasy geek uh, to begin with. And, and at Nonstop, we actually started out working with doing, doing Forex games and, and also city builders. And obviously, the last few years, I've personally been working with much more casual games, which, which has its own appeal. But when we were, were kind of thinking about what we want to do, what we can do, where we can add value to, to this part of the business, we, we started talking about Forex games also as leveraging blockchain technology to make that a good experience for users where everyone can also be, be stakeholders and participants, where obviously one of the big benefits is the kind of perspective on economy there. Because arguably, if you look at, look at the, the types of games that are out there on blockchain, many of them don't really have the depth of economy needed needed to, to, to really be sustainable, right? So, so we started looking at it from that perspective. But also quickly, we, relatively quickly, we realized that, hey, okay, let's be honest here, we're, we're a small star, we're going to be a small startup here with, with kind of limited funds to begin with. We did feel, felt that we didn't want to necessarily rush into the, the idea of NFT sales and IDOs and just promise a lot of things with nothing to show for it. So, so really what we did was kind of look, as we've always done in, in game development, in, in mobile free-to-play is what I've been working in most. You break things down so that you can iterate and develop fast and get answers so that you can course, course correct. And we started actually thinking about, okay, what is a Forex game and how do we break it, break it down into its constituent pieces? And, and decided that, yeah, in the end, for something like this to work, uh, even if we have a great platform for, we, we had a lot of ideas, started actually with a lot of ideas about yield setups and how we have a platform that can, can support that and automate a lot of, lot of things in yields that are, central to a forex type game right we actually decided that nothing will work unless we have a fun core gameplay right and what is that core gameplay and how, how will we expand on this so we decided to actually immediately more or less then as we have had realized that so create a roadmap of, of really three three consecutive games that we'd like to work on where the first one is is an auto chess style battler which fits very well since we are building a a really deep progression system into that Economically, we can can make a lot of sense of it, both from an NFT and from a from a, a currency perspective. Uh, so that's where we're starting, and then we we want to expand on that so that we actually can can have extensible utility of our NFTs, so that we can actually bring them also into other game experiences that will be a city builder and will be a, actually a fully fledged forex game as we are growing. Again, if you, if you remember, we talked we talked a lot about learnings around growth, and part of that is to not not try to eat the whole apple, like take, take the right bite, size bites of the apple at the right time, right? So we don't choke. Maybe bad, <laughs> bad analogy, maybe. So, so yeah, our first game is, is, is an auto chess battle type game that we will expand on in this universe that we're building. Really, we've started now, we started with focus on, on fun core, but now we're actually building out the, the universe around that with, with a novel IP that we're, we're launching actually in the next couple of days here. I'm not sure if we should go too, too far into, in, into those, those aspects, but, but yeah, that, that's the approach we're taking. And, <laughs> and I think the key, key aspects here is making fun core gameplay, building upon that in a world that is engaging and attractive, but without build, just, just world building first, 
without content in it and making sure that and based on our our free-to-play backgrounds and and what we've done previously making sure that we have a sustainable economy that 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 actually works in the system long term that's that's our key approach if 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 i may add to that unless joachim you have some something else to ask oh Please do, Alex. No, no, I was I was thinking that we are building this from embracing Web3 concepts, you know, n- natively, which means that we have an MVP approach where we have the full stack developed. So uh, we go as deep as we need to go on blockchain to deliver a smooth experience. I think that one of the challenges of today's uh, games on, on Web3 is, is a fragmented experience. You need to go to website and, and do transactions there and then come to you know the game and then have be part of a guild somewhere else. It, it, it is hard to actually get going even to start playing you know, a, a Web3 game. And we want to, to solve that and, and try to deliver that Web2 type of experience, but with, with the potential of a Web3 and try to hide much of the, of the lingo that exists, you know, that comes as a baggage, I would say, of Web3 and, and, and DeFi in, into gaming. So, so on, the, on the first games, it's going to be all about the, this dragon NFTs and their capabilities and how you deploy them in battle. So for that, we have built, you know, the, the technology to, to make that really, really smooth. There's the breathing game. And, and then the same dragons are the dragons that will be then deployed and used on other games, you know, in, in the future with different capabilities. So how do you reflect those capabilities on blockchain? How that becomes part of the value of the NFT that you have invested on? That's something that we have sought technologically from the beginning to allow that expansion of utility of these NFTs. And then once we do that with one class of drag of NFTs, which are the dragons, for the next, next game, for the city builders and other, we're going to support other classes of NFTs like land and buildings. And, and then we're going to start integrating aspects about guild building, which we want that to be as integrated as possible with the game experience. But for that, there's the, the stack of technology needs to have evolved to you know, support those capabilities. And we don't want to build all at once. I guess that's one of the main messages that Andrea was mentioning, but rather let's have a finished product, even if it's simple, but that works end-to-end and that has a Web3 integrated as part of the experience in a native way. And then we keep on iterating through this journey of multiple chapters in our franchise to adopt more and more and more of uh, the capabilities and, the, and to the, enable the full potential of, of Web3 in gaming. Yeah, I think I was trying to be coy about it, but when, when Alex spilled the beans now, might as well tell that our IP that we're building, actually, that we've been focusing on, on lately, once we decided that, okay, this is a fun core gameplay that we can work with, we have a prototype already, we started building out, okay, the, what is this world and so on. It's, so we're actually launching Eternal Dragons, as he mentioned Dragons, which are, and we're building out the lore, lore and the history around this world and everything. It's already in our white paper. And, and we, we're actually releasing the website but today, actually, really, more or less. I don't know when, when we're releasing this, this podcast. At the time of the recording, we're, we're uh, starting to announce this. And yeah, we, we're phrasing it as, as uh, chapters, really, in the, his, in the story that we're developing together with our users actually also so so it's it's really the book a book of eternal dragons really that we're working on that's amazing amazing i wanted to ask your thoughts on product and marketing because in free to play you have the return on ad spend it, it's such a key metric for growing games and you need to have the product team working very closely with the marketing probably pretty much like embedded into each other like how do you see things going differently in web3 regarding growing products and, and marketing yeah that i think that is one of those key key areas where where we need to reinvent how we how we really review how we think about things so for one thing i mentioned previously that that kind of the, the idea of virality and spreading the word is is kind of not automatically solved not by any means but but at least by by making sure everyone is in the same boat developer as and user uh, you get a kind of different type of lever on on your potential marketing spend. I do think in the future, things will align a little bit more, like we're in a very disruptive stage right now, we'll also, this space will mature and we'll obviously see, see more maybe traditional marketing approaches also. But I think the real key aspect here, at least from a product perspective, is that we have, it's actually about community building and together kind of building the community Together with them, that's why also why we're focusing so much on the IP right now, not just like we have a core game, 
with a prototype, but also the IP to to have have this story to to gather around because that gives us direct access to our first users. Like we can together make build that product market fit in many ways. Obviously, we've done our research on what what is attractive in the market, and like what what themes work. Like there's the reason why we why we got stuck on Dragon specifically. I won't go into those details, but there's specific reasons and. So all of that, I think, is very similar to to like how to build good concepts. I think is very similar to 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 uh, try if we call it traditional free to play mobile, for example. But how we go about fitting that with the market and building the market, I think uh, that that's much more collaborative in my way, in my in my opinion. And we have great some great collaborators now on our community and growth side. So we're just at the stage right now where we're building the community as we are building out the IP and the core game concepts. And personally, I'm as a product designer and product person, I'm looking so much forward to reaching out and having those conversations with the community and our first users directly. Yeah, and I, I, I may add to that on the growth part, I think the metrics, <laughs> going back to Ross, it's not about ads. So there's no ad spend, in, at least at this stage. Of course, this discovery is going to get harder later, but it, it it is about engagement of the community and the quality of the community. You don't want bots as part of your community, just count the number of you know Twitter followers that are not necessarily value add and, and contributing to, to the game the way that Andreas is describing. So we want to get their feedback. We want them to participate on polls. We want them to kind of wear their, their uh, game design hat if, if they want to, to really be part of the project and to make it theirs because they're actually making it theirs, you know, through the token, they become in investors and they will get rewarded of the success of the game. So that's what I think is fundamental change. So when it comes to metrics, the size of the community, the level of engagement of the community, how to measure the value of that community on participating in the game in, in meaningful ways. I think that that is going to be uh, an opportunity of trying to measure how well are we doing, what benchmarks are there in terms of what type of engagement you should, uh, size of engagement do you expect of your community at which stage of development of, of the game? This is starts early, it starts before you launch the game. So that's the v- very much interesting part. And you have to start communicating, you know, the vision. And then after you launch, then you have a completely different type of challenges, primarily related to sustainability, because what you're building is a new it's kind of like a new virtual country. You have like uh, a central bank, you have a currency, and, and then you have market cycles. And then that means that the price uh, varies, you know, widely depending on how much demand, how much supply there is, how you want to manage that. So the size of the economy kind of is a way of measuring the, the success of, of the game. But I would say it's going to become increasingly important to, to see the trajectory to be on a sustainable path of growth and not just be in this huge peak that eventually drops quickly. You want to build an economy and a product that can continue to grow over years. So even though you may have high expectations for the future, you want to somehow make that growth more gradual and not just explosive because it might not be for the best interest of the gain of the whole community anyway. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, the, the other aspect I wanted to hear about is the guilds side of Web3, which seems like another area that is just, you know, waiting to, to you know, be exploited by Web2 game developers, right. free-to-play people come in because it, it feels like it's set up now by a lot of decentralized finance folks. But ca- can you talk about like how you see that model developing? the future. Yeah, I, I can start. I think that originally the guilds started at least in Web3 as a way of pulling in resources like, hey, we have these assets, let's borrow them or lend them to players who want to you know, use them and then let's distribute the, the reward. That is the, the current version and it's getting you know, a lot of traction and, and it's important. I think that it solves the problem. I mean, it the individual assets are so important. So how efficient and effective you are using those matters. So you don't want to have an NFT idol if you could be doing something in the game and actually, you know, helping make progress and, and pulling resources, teaming up, I think makes sense. Uh, I'll share just my, my perspective on, on, on the platform side and I should address as a perspective more on, on the gaming part. But I would say that there's an opportunity here of creating this new, new land for entrepreneurship where we can have the the guilds to be much more like startups so they can raise funds they can 
access capital and they can put that to work by bringing in, of course, uh, buying assets and, and playing. But then they can have their own, maybe their own ways of governing themselves. It's like different states, like different countries. Like, how do you want to distribute all your profits? Maybe you want to reinvest all of it. And what about the, the team members? What the relationship will be with that? Maybe there will be smart contracts that one could use to start hiring uh, the top players. And I think this is going to start looking a lot like esports in the sense that maybe the guilds are going to be like trying to build your new Barcelona team and bring the best players you can to uh, succeed and technologically blockchain is providing the foundation to allow that. And there's a DeFi aspect in terms of, you know, fundraising and distributing profits. But I see it as an enterprise, as something that brings people together towards that goal. And, and I think that it has a lot of potential. I think that these will become the companies or the company states, you know, within games or across games of groups of people teaming up to success. And, and I found that honestly fascinating in terms of opportunity there. Andres, if you have any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, no, no, I think it, we've talked, talked so much about this that we're, we're fully aligned on this. I think um, maybe to add emphasis to, to our thinking and our approach to this also, I think is guilds are, like the guilds we're talking about now, there's great power in them and like there's, they have a lot of yeah, power in the space because they, they, basically they are large communities, right? Which they can direct attention and funds to, to specific parts of this part of the industry, right? Whereas kind of our perspective is probably a little bit slightly narrower in the sense that we look at it from from a development perspective i think we always take the end the end user and the use cases in mind when for example building the the full vertical of actually yes having a platform where we actually have these smart contracts in place where you can do all of the all of the, the things alex was talking about but eventually it also needs to uh, surface in uh, in in the if not the game at least the franchise context in our in, in our world so things make sense and run smoothly so it's also about finding the right analogies there where we're branding our our guilds uh, in the eternal dragons dragons universe we're branding as houses and that's how we're going to talk about where the kind of the place where you where you sit down and agree on these things Use leveraging the smart uh, smart contract and, and blockchain technology to to which is one of the other buzzwords trustless right but it's an important concept that it's actually very transparent what will happen and you can agree on those terms and that's what, what then will happen so and another aspect where we're leveraging the blockchain technology for this uh, is I was talking about a book previously and we, we actually have a concept called the eternal book which is really a a, a an immutable player record of your performance that we can, you can actually, so anyone can transparently see it's not, I can tell you that I'm the greatest Dota player in the world. I'm, I'm not where, whereas if I would, my performance actually would be, would be recorded on, on the blockchain. You, you can just check that out and see is Andreas the best, best Dota player in the world. Oh yeah. Maybe, may, maybe I actually should sponsor him. And th that's kind of the perspective on, on esports where, where this, this whole idea of, of guilds and, collaborating and funding each other also and sharing in in the profits a, a powerful guild or a player can can rake in i think uh, there's a lot of power in that yeah there's like huge potential for sure i may add to that that our approach to guild also it, it's something more embedded with the game experience so it's not something outside that you belong to but rather it, it is part of the core game playing so it will be reflected and there will be features associated to the, the experience of the player. Inside, I think that there's an important evolution that guilds need to, need, need to go through to, to really be part of the fun of the game and not just about the resources. And maybe the last thing to add is that, it's funny, one, one of our team members in the community side were mentioning that many players may think that it might be unfair for the guilds to perhaps have so much power. You want to give a sense of opportunity of everyone that start playing the game. And then if suddenly, because of the pooling of resources, you feel that you are at a disadvantage, it may hurt the acquisition of new you know players that are not necessarily part of it so you kind of have to start aligning so it'll be interesting to see the evolution of these big guilds and and eventually how that affects the smaller players to have a fair chance to to grow without necessarily being part of them yeah it's so true then thinking about a gaming studio you're, you're running a game studio in web3 how is that different with all this all of these DAOs and everything like does it look any more different does it feel any more different to run a studio yeah very much so i, I can tell you at least uh, my experience uh, from my previous startup to to this one we tend to follow i guess 
the hub approach by then where we have a team in San Francisco, we have a team in Helsinki and you hire based on the local talent there, which, you know, comes, it can be challenging depending on the level of momentum that the industry has on that specific city. You know how hard it is to try to bring, you know, even in Helsinki today, there's so, there's so many amazing gaming companies, it's hard to, to bring in talent. I think that, and this is a personal growth, but very much aligned with the philosophy of Web3 of decentralization, you start opening up natively. And this is also an effect of post-COVID, I would say, of bringing people from, from wherever they are. I mean, the best talent in the world, wherever they are, that's, that's our goal. We just want to br- bring them to, to our team. And that means, you know, being open of to work across different time zones and from different places, uh, most of us remotely. So the culture and, and the communication associated with running a global company that is centralized, I think that is, or, or that has basically people all over the world working and connecting and, and contributing, I think is on itself a challenge, but a, and a, and a huge opportunity. I mean, the kind of people that we are, can bring on board because of it is, is just unparalleled because the talent is you know, distributed differently. It's not necessarily on the big capitals of the world. It can be in, in many other places. So I think that we're riding that wave and we're really fully embracing that ability. And then the other part is that the boundaries of the company don't end the way a traditional company does. I mean, suddenly many of the people, for example, we have brought, they brought a bunch of other teams and collaborators to be happy to produce content for us to start, you know, generating, I don't know, logos, all sort of, you know, additional content because they want to contribute. And and we start wondering where do we need to to pay them? Are they part of the company or are they not? But they're so passionate. They're really dedicating many hours of the day to our company. So we really want to have them with us. So it it is something amazing, honestly, but that but that we need to learn to to manage and to and to fully you know embrace and, and be the way that you run a, a web three company because uh, the community essentially becomes embedded and part of the team as much as the people officially being part of it and and I think that's that's one of the big changes that and the opportunities that web three brings. Yeah, that's really cool. Hey, as the last question before we go to the final questions, if there's gaming entrepreneurs out there who are thinking about doing a pivot to, to Web3 or to start the Web3 game studio, what would be your advice to them? Yeah, there's, there's plenty to figure out still. Like we, we, I think one of the, one of the key, factor, key aspects here is that, that uh, like we mentioned previously, this space is moving so fast. Everyone are, is, are learning. So, so there's a lot we're also still figuring out, but kind of Tying back to, to the previous question on the challenges side, it's one, one specific challenge that, the, that I think is, is worth calling out also is the openness required and the risks that that imply for, for a traditional company also. Because, I mean, at the same time as we're embracing Web3 and, and building community and want to do everything transparently and openly, openly we're also a company that, that operates under under traditional laws and, and regulations, right? So a, an example is the, just the idea of sharing your early ideas with the community. If you're working on a, on a new IP in, in traditional companies, I mean, you keep things sec- as secret as you can on roadmap and, and ideas and concrete designs as long as you can before you're kind of protected, right? So from legal perspective and, and, and other types of questions. Whereas this is a completely different different world in that sense. And, and that, that comes with, with challenges, like to the question of how you lead and manage a company in this space. We're figuring a lot of things out there. What needs to be trademarked? Does that matter? And how do we, what, what are we okay with sharing with the community? We want to be as open and transparent as possible. But then some, you have kind of, leaks is a, is a very interesting concept in today's world, right? Leaks are not leaks anymore, but, they, but, 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 but you know what I mean, right? And, and that kind of goes, goes into what, what I think is really important is A, to, to do your homework very well, like make sure you you need to be in this space to learn. Like if, if you're not if you're not a learning type of individual that thrives and drives for for that, then you won't keep up. So so you really need to do your homework. You need to to embrace le- the learning aspect and also embrace the unknown. If if you're uncomfortable, and this goes for a, like any startup, right? But again, the speed and the, the velocity at which we're 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 moving here 
I think it's extra important. So you need to really embrace the unknown. Uh, and don't be afraid of also, like, sit still in the boat when, when the water is really rocky. Like, just sit still in the boat. Like, this, it's also the, the volatility of the markets is, can, can be, like, crazy, right? And we're in a space where, where so, for example, we're not at the stage yet where we release the token. But, but I mean, as, as soon as you get, go into that space, things are moving. Like, you're, you're, you're subject to market conditions in a way that you aren't in other other typical startup situations in the same way right so yeah basically those are the kind of the main tips and tricks there's plenty more and there's much more related to similar topics though like for example there's also relating back to the to the kind of type of trademark and sharing sharing openly and transparently type of questions there's still it's it's such a nascent nascent business model as a whole that there are a lot of bad actors and, and people that try trying to exploit and take advantage of also a lot of inexperienced people in the space, maybe naive in different ways. So so it's just being open to all of that and embracing it. And yeah, don't stress out about it. I think would be really, really and to be honest, all of the, the these key things that I'm calling out is really why I thrive on in this space. So, so like for me, they are in many ways positives, but if you're not that type of type of uh, individual, then then be, be wary about, about jumping on the bandwagon just because it's hot. Very good. Alex, do you have anything to add? I think that the, the, the change is happening. So I would seriously look on, on ways of embracing the, the, the concept of Web3 on future games. It's not healthy, though, to just try to retroactively slap some NFTs into an existing game. I, think, I don't think that's the right approach at all. I think that it's right about understanding philosophically because the change is not technological, really. It's, it's, it's not, or at least it's not only that. So how can that enable creative people like game developers to create something new and amazing? I think that is the part that I would encourage everyone to, to explore, to see what could this new world of Web3 could mean if we, if we were to start, you know, a, a new project, a new IP, a new game, because it may look very different than what our conceptions of games are today. And I think that's the opportunity to understand more and, and get inspired by, you know, the possibilities and, and just try it. But again, this, it, this is evolving. It's very, very early. And this is the perfect moment to just be crazy and just try whatever you want to try, because I, I think it's, it's, full of opportunity was what's happening now. Yeah, that's definitely true. Hey, let's go to the final questions. What's your favorite book and why? Yeah, on my case is, I would say is uh, the, the Power of Now is uh, by Eckhart Tolle. It's, it's a classic, you know, I don't know how old it might be, but very, it is still so relevant to me. It, it really, for me, it became important. I was in San Francisco, I remember, and I was somehow proud of being able to continue to think and solve problems outside of work. So I, I would be walking, you know, in Mission Street and I was like, think, oh, what about this feature? Yeah. And what if this could be like that? And then pick up the phone, call something. What do you think? Could we do this? Could we do that? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. And then I was supposed to be having brunch with my wife at, at the time. And she could see on my eyes. I was like, I mean, what, what do you think? What, what's in your mind? You know? And, and I was really missing out of this very valuable moments of being right there and then and when one is excited you know it's one really starts thinking a lot about you know the future and possibilities or sometimes start thinking about the past and what what could have been different and so on but just embracing the leaving the moment i think is so absolutely important that's really what makes life and i think it's been for me super helpful throughout these years to really give a sense to what we do by just enjoying the moment this very moment you know Having this podcast, I think, is something amazing. And I think just taking it all in, it, it's part of it. So that's why that's my favorite one. This is one of those uh, very hard questions, and you probably get different answers which day or which time of day you ask. But I wouldn't say necessarily favorite, but but for, for in this type of context, talking about um, startups and leading businesses and so on, one of the most useful I've read the last few years, I would say, is, is actually John Doerr's Measure What Matters. If you are into OKRs and the, using that as as a guidance and steering type of type of tool. I think yeah, you really don't need any other resources. In my in my opinion, it's 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 extremely good 
to to help you if you want to implement implement OKRs. Whether whether it's in a in a startup like ours, we work with OKRs, or or if it's yeah. So yeah, again, let's not do many too many anecdotes. But scaling, for example, when you look at Candy Crush team or or, or Candy Crush Soda that I worked with last, like those teams when they grow from twelve to 100, 150 and in some cases, even 300. And you have a lot of a lot of legacy in there in, in how people like to work and how you how you help them with direction and support them and facilitate that conversation. OKRs can be extremely powerful, but also many of those types of organizations are pretty resistant to, to that type of tooling or mechanics to, to, to help guide and steer. Uh, because it is very very how should put pretty explicit on on uh, on certain aspects it's measure what matters really right it's very explicit so so that that is a very useful i don't think you need any other other resource than that one if if you're thinking about working with okrs if you're into that but i have to say that in uh, if you ask me what my favorite book is what's the real question i think it's and then just from enjoyment you can't beat the lord of the rings like that's uh, that's my go-to in that case that, that has shaped shaped me yeah that's good do you guys have a story that shaped you and how you approach your work today? Yeah, let's hope it doesn't go too long yet. How can I shorten this? Because it, I have one that that really, maybe I take the moral of the story in the end. But basically what, what, what always comes back to me is, I, I told in the beginning that, that yeah, we, we built nonstop, we were acquired by King, King acquired by Activision, and then, then the decision was made to shut down the studio in Singapore. Which those types of decisions are, I didn't linger too long on that in, the, in my origin story, but those decisions are, of course, extremely hard always in, for everyone, even the ones making the decisions. In, in this case, it was um, coming from our then CEO and founder of King, Ricardo Zocconi. I mean, he's an extremely compassionate man, so, so, so I know it wasn't easy for him either to, to, to deliver that message. And in that, basically... We made this decision, or the decision was made, that the project I was leading at that point was really the only one that that we were discussing of, of actually keeping, like as a remnant of the studio. And the original proposal was that I take take two people with me to Stockholm and continue the project. We were at that point twenty people working on the project. So, like I said, Ricardo is a very very compassionate man and, and and knows what it takes to make good games. Also, so so I had. A, conversation with him and and in the end we decided to actually actually talk to to 12 individuals instead to to see if we could could relocate a bit more people to actually actually make sense of, of continuing development on the game uh, and in the end in just a few days we had nine people mostly southeast asians i think we were two europeans that were were ready to just move across the world to continue working on this game in a completely different country different setting different part of the world really at king rather not at non-stop anymore in the same way and and really that that was for me because things were moving so fast uh, and i was so focused on just just making it happen that afterwards looking back at it i realized just how much strength and importance there is in in the team like the team was so strong and committed and believed in in what we were doing I mean, we're talking about extremely talented individuals here, and there's plenty of gaming opportunity, gaming work and opportunities in Singapore. So no, no one had to move across the world in that sense. But still, in just a few days, nine people made that decision. And just embracing that, I'm so humble and grateful for that in hindsight, because in the end, it is about the, the people and the, the team and working together on something that you believe in. And that, that's really something that I've carried with me since. Yeah, on, on my side, uh, and this is a, a short story, but it means a lot to me. You know, we have our San Francisco office. And in one of those days, I was st- I was staying working till relatively late, so 11 p.m. in this case. And I was trying to leave the, the building and I was grabbing my road bike on my shoulder and I get to the door. And I couldn't open the door. I couldn't open the door, not because it was locked, but because there were about 15 people sleeping outside of the door. So to open, I have to, to push through and apologize and try to see, can, I'm, I'm sorry, can, can, I, can, I, can I pass through and trying to not to step on, on anyone while I was literally stepping in, in between people that didn't have where to sleep. And um, I was driving home and it was really striking me to see the level of difference that exists in such a successful startup scene like like San Francisco. But but at the same time, 
you know, how this can happen to, to people with all the resources that existed. And, and really it motivated me to keep it real and to try to continue to strive to somehow make the world, make it more fair and bring an opportunity to everyone as, as much as possible. So, so yeah, I think that that for me was a, a very key moment in, 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 in my life that how we should help to, to move forward together. Amazing. Thanks for sharing, guys. As the final question, Like if there's people in the audience who are curious about what you guys are doing, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? For me, it will be uh, my email. So it's alex at trailblazer.games. Yeah, and I'm um, happy to, to be contacted on LinkedIn also, but then I might be less responsive. <laughs> if you want, want a response uh, sooner rather than later, then probably email also. That is andreas at uh, trailblazer.games. And join our community. Come to our website, eternaldragons.com. And we're going to be pretty active. The more we want is to have people on board that is excited about the vision, that wants to you know, contribute, that wants to give their perspective. So we're looking forward to more and more connections, more and more conversations. So do please, please reach out. It will it'd be incredible to, to hear from, from you. Amazing, guys. This was so good to chat with you. A lot of insights here to think about for all the developers. So thanks so much for, for doing this, guys. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for having us. Right. Uh, see you out there, guys. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you move on, please remember to follow or subscribe to our show so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is live. See you next week. Bye-bye.